You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. Today's, we're moving to a new message entitled, uh, we're going to talk about who is this man for the next three or four weeks. We're going to talk about Jesus. We just came out of a series about good news, and we believe that we're living in a time that we need to share good news. We had so much negativity in the past year and so much stuff that's been going on that we were able to share the good news. And last Sunday, had a lot of compliments on the message. I thought it was well-written. Uh, I thought we had a great time of being able to share that. And you guys have got a new um, uh, outlook of being able to go out and share the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I, I saw a lot of people say, hey, I'm inviting my friend. I'm inviting somebody from my gym uh, to church next Sunday. And, and I just thank you all for doing that, all right? Um, but this is a great next step is that over the next four weeks leading up to Easter, you realize in three more Sundays we'll be at Easter, uh, that we could really dig down deep and look at Jesus um, and who was he and, and what did he mean to us and what and what's he mean not only to the people back then, but what's he mean to us today? And you know what the title of the message is today? Friend of Sinners. And uh, you all know I coach basketball out Shady, um, assistant coach with Ronnie Olson. Uh, Ronnie and I have known each other for about five years. And uh, at 9.15 this morning, um, I just get this random text from Ronnie. He says, thanks for being a good friend, Russ. Now, Ronnie and I are not sentimental. You know, we got bromance going on, but that's about as far as it goes. You know what I'm saying? But here we are moving into a, a sermon series about understanding Jesus being a friend of sinners and one of my best friends just sends me a random text, and guys don't do that. I mean, you know what I felt guilty of? That he sent that text to me, and I didn't send it to him. Because Ronnie is a good friend. And, and, and when somebody just sends you a random compliment like that, it's not expected and wasn't, you know, anticipated. I mean, it, it, it really impacted me this morning, and here we are moving right into this new message of, who was this man? Who is this man, Jesus? And, and we've kind of looked at it already in our focus verse. Um, this this uh, video and this series, I don't know if you can see this. Taylor made all this stuff. Um, he's talented, isn't he? I mean, there's, there's so much talent there. This picture right here of Jesus is a, uh, I guess they tried to use computer technology and stuff, kind of going back to the days of what a, a Galilean uh, a man from Galilee would look like, and so um, and so Taylor's been taking all these different images of about you know who is Jesus, what he look like, and and it it fits well into what we're going to talk about. So you saw from this media package this morning, this is what the world has been asking: Who is Jesus? They've been asking this for two hundred years, two thousand years. What kind of man was he when he walked on this earth? And if we go to the scriptures this morning. There's this passage of scripture in Mark chapter six, verse two, where the Bible says, when the Sabbath came, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard were amazed. It says, where did this man get these things? They asked, what's this wisdom that he has been given? And these are re remarkable miracles that he's performing. You know, when John the baptizer was put in uh, prison by Herod, uh, he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, who are you? And when he, they, were, uh, they met Jesus, they claimed that he could 
calm the wind on the waves. They could see the miracles afterwards. And it says, who is this guy that even the winds obey him? So who was Jesus and who is he? And today, the first thing we want to look at is Jesus is a friend of sinners. And that's something that we should be very excited about, friends, is that we are here worshiping a God who lived amongst us on this earth fully as a man, and he loved the people that were outcast in society. You know, um, back in Jesus's day, um, the religious teachers and the teachers of the law had all these rules and regulations um, that we can read about, like in Luke chapter 7. And, and, and we're going to jump right in this morning. Look at verse 36, and we'll kind of follow this all the way through. And it says in verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. This was a big deal back in the days of Jesus to have a, a, a rabbi or someone who was well known and thought of to come in and teach. And it was a great honor for someone to host someone like that in their home. And if you've ever seen uh, pictures of the way the homes were in, in the Middle East in, uh, 2,000 years ago, they were open air. And so a lot of times, uh, they, they left all everything open so everyone could know that they had someone prestigious in their home. And so people would come, because we didn't have TV back then, or the internet, or Facebook, or Instagram, or all that other stuff that we have, and they would come and just sit outside the house to hear the teaching from this prestigious rabbi. So it was a great honor for um, this Pharisee to host Jesus for dinner. Now in verse 37, notice what it says. A woman in town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came with an alabaster jar of perfume. Now don't confuse this incident with the story that we read in John 12 of Mary and the sister of Martha and Lazarus that washed his feet with perfume. The two stories are very similar, but I believe they're two different accounts. Because down in verse 38, we read this. As she, stood, um, as, he, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping. So she walks into the home. Jesus is teaching at, at this Pharisee's home. She's behind him, and she's so moved with emotions, she's crying, and she is uh, at his feet, and she is weeping. And it says, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured the perfume on them. Now, we don't know much about this woman, but we know that she was a sinful woman. Maybe we can conclude that maybe she was even a prostitute at the time. I, I don't know that we can, the text give us that, but the text says that Something was so deep down inside of her that was wrong that she couldn't stop just crying. Maybe she had some other addiction or problem. Everyone in town seemed to know who this woman was, and she had a bad reputation. But we know something about her. She was seeking. She was looking for something. You know, Taylor mentioned that in his first sermon that we had this morning, which was a good one there, Taylor. But we're all looking for hope somewhere. And we'll try it in different ways. And, and, and we know that this woman wanted to be free from whatever was troubling her so much. She wanted forgiveness. She wanted freedom. And, and I think deep down inside, when someone's really struggling, there's a sense that they want to do better. I, I truly believe that. That's what I look for when I look at those who are struggling with addiction in our, in our, 
in our home up there in St. Albans. I don't look at them as sinners. I look at them as guys looking to do better. They, they want, you know, it, there's no person I know that when they started using drugs that thought their life would go to the, to the extreme that it's went to, and they thought, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be addicted. I, I want to be in, in a horrible condition. No, they, there's a sense that people want to do better. And, and, and in fact, an old Turkish proverb says it this way, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, you can turn back. And I believe that with all that's going on in our society, I believe that a lot, even in our modern day society, that people are looking to do better. And here's the good news, they can come back. Why? Because one that we worship is a friend of sinners. You see, she, she come to Simon's house and she showed up with tears streaming down her face. She didn't show up empty handed. She had an alabaster jar of perfume. And now you can picture these big crocodile tears coming down on the ground or maybe uh, on the dirt floor, or maybe a rug or something like that. And everyone else was sitting around, but she was so overcome with her emotions, she didn't care who else was there. She came looking. She came seeking. And listen to what verse 39 says. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. And that woman, she is a sinner. So what the man took, at what the woman was doing, he, he, he said, look, Jesus, if he's some great prophet or rabbi, he would know that the sinful woman is touching him and she shouldn't be doing that because guess what? She's unclean. And listen to this. They took great pride, the Pharisees did, of obeying the letter of the law to the point that they obeyed the letter of the law because it separated them from others. They took great pride in their obedience. Oftentimes, um, they would see Jesus was at odds with these Pharisees, not only for their obedience necessarily, but for their arrogance in their obedience. Jesus blasted them for their self-reliant, judgmental attitudes. And in fact, Matthew 23, Jesus calls them hypocrites, blind guides, blind fools, snakes, and he even calls them a brood of vipers. He calls the religious leaders that said, you're the ones who should be helping these folks. But now you're just self-righteousness is passing judgment. And not only does your self-righteousness do it, you separate yourself from those you consider unclean. It was fact in, in John 8, a Pharisee who brought the woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember that story? And he had her stand in front of Jesus to catch him in a trap to exploit her. And they didn't care about the woman. They only cared about trying to get Jesus in a trap. You know, an old preacher said it this way. God prefers loving a sinner over a loveless saint. Let me say that again. God prefers loving a sinner over a loveless saint. Simon was a loveless saint who was condescending in his attitude, his attitude towards this woman. If this man were a prophet, he thought, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. And let me let you in on a little secret. Jesus did know who was touching him. <laughs> and he did know what kind of woman she was. But he didn't get uncomfortable. He didn't get agitated. 
He showed kindness to her, right? Someone said sinners are God's kind of people. Why are sinners God's kind of people? Because they don't have all the the tension built up and try to prove themselves before God. They are laid bare, they're open, and guess what? God can use someone like that. God has a hard time using people and, and working inside of people who are doing just fine without him. And I think there's sometimes a lot of Christians and Christ followers who say, yeah, I love God, but you know what? I just need you to help me out when, you know, I got a few things, but for the most part, God, I've got this. And boy, if we take that attitude with God, we're, we're limiting what God can do through us, church, and what he can do in your life. Listen, this, this was one of the main complaints that the Jewish religious leaders have in Jesus. Time and time again, he was accused of hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. When he called Levi or Matthew to be his disciple, they all went and had dinner at Matthew's house. Do you remember? And the Bible said many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. That was Matthew 9.10. In Mark 2.16, we read, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when he went into the home of Zacchaeus, another tax collector, the Bible says all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. See, when this Pharisee invited Jesus over, it was not only a great honor to have Jesus into his home, but it built the Pharisee up, made him feel good about himself. But this Jesus in their day, the people couldn't understand because he didn't only go eat with the prestigious most of the time, he was hanging out with the outcast, the ones that everyone else shunned and put away. In fact, Matthew eleven nineteen says this, Jesus was paying tribute to John the Baptist, and he said, the son of man came in eating and drinking, and he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible in Luke 15, Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son. And do you know who was there listening Verse one says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus. He was talking to them. So here we see Simon was showed in utter disgust what was taking place. And look in the Bible what it says. This is not stuff I'm making up. Verse 40 says, Jesus answered, Simon, I have something to tell you. And you can just see Simon puffing up. Uh oh, he's gonna ask me a question. Tell me, teacher, he said, and in verse 41, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave both debts. Now, which of them will he love more? You see, Jesus not only knew what kind of woman uh, the woman was, he also knew what kind of man Simon was. He knew both. He knew what was Simon's thinking. He knows what's in the heart of a man or a woman. And although this woman was guilty of sins of the flesh, he also knew that Simon was guilty of sins of the spirit. He knew that both of them, listen, were spiritually bankrupt. Both of them were on equal standing with God. They didn't have a relationship with God. One was in deep remorse and sorrow over the things that she had done. And the other one was self-righteous and said, God, I'm good. And in fact, they both weren't good. Simon replies, 
I suppose the one who had the bigger debt of forgiveness. He said, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon. Now notice this, he turns to the woman and he says this to Simon. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she put perfume on my feet. Simon was cut to the heart because this woman did for Jesus what the host should have done. You know, they were dirt roads. They wore sandals. You all know how I feel about feet, right? All right, I pray to God. You know what I pray as a basketball coach? Please don't let any of my kids turn an ankle because I have to tape them. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it is so hard for me, you know, to see these, oh, goodness gracious. But back then, there was nothing. I, I do, I pray that my kids don't turn ankles. I, I, I'll just be honest. I had one boy last year, his ankle just busted every time, old Grayson. And every practice, coach, you take me up? Yes. I mean, my anxiety was worse than getting the COVID shot. But anyways, <laughs> so but my point is this. That was what a host was supposed to do to someone. You were supposed to take care of your guest. And here this woman, this sinner, was doing something for Jesus that even Simon wasn't able to do. You know, there's three acts of kindness here. There's a kiss of peace. This is a common greeting in Eastern cultures, and even for many of us in the Western world. Uh, I remember when I was first started off in ministry at Elkhorn City Church of Christ, and I was their weekend youth minister. Leslie Anderson was 91 years old, and he was the greatest University of Kentucky fan I've ever met in my life, basketball. But every Sunday morning, Leslie was out there kissing every single woman that walked in that door. I was like, Leslie, how do you do it? And he said, they put me to be a greeter 20 years ago, and he said, I never give it up. <laughs> That's what he said. And so Tanya said, he would give like a wet St. Bernard kiss. And I was like, oh, Leslie, man, he had it rolling, all right? A bowl of water was always at the house to wash your feet. I told you about that. And a drop of perfume was usually given as a sign of a gift from a host to someone. Simon hadn't offered any of these. And so now down in verse 47, let's listen, listen. And Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her sins may have, her many sins have been forgiven and her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Ouch. Let me read that one more time. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Have you ever noticed that the deeper someone has been in sin and then they meet Jesus, the more appreciative they are of grace? I've seen that over and over again. In fact, one of the saddest conversations I had was with someone who had grown up in church all of her life. And you know what she said to me? She said, I don't know if I really truly have a relationship with Jesus. She's 22 at this point. I said, what do you mean? She goes, I grew up in church all my life. And she said, don't get me wrong. I've done stuff bad. But she said, I didn't go out and party when I was in high school and college. And I still don't. She said, I don't really cuss or watch stuff I shouldn't. She says, she said, I'm not like those other sinners. I thought, how sad. 
Here she has grown up in her entire life and doesn't realize that the word of God says that we are all sinners. And she questioned her relationship. She, she even says, do I need to go out and do something really bad so I can know Jesus more? I said, no, you don't need to do any of that. In fact, he doesn't want you to do any of that. He just wants your heart. And I thought, how sad is that what, where she was at? And notice how Jesus and these other guests interpret what's going on here. And we'll finish this story with this. He says, of the level of the multitude of grace, that the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this that even he forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. What a great story. And I, I encourage you this week to look that over. And I, look, and I encourage you to look that over and think about the three main characters in this story. There's really four when you think of it. There's Jesus, there's Simon, there's the woman, and there's everybody else that's watching. And at some point in your life, if you're a lot like me, you've been every one of those characters except for Jesus. And, and, and that's what humbled me so much. And I know that whether Ronnie realizes this or not, when he sent me that text and said, you're a good friend, Russ. That's the greatest compliment someone's given me in a long time. Because I try to be a good friend, not only to the righteous people, but I try to be a good friend to the unrighteous people. I try to be a good friend because you know what? Because that's who Jesus is to me. He's a friend of mine. He's a friend to me when I'm doing great and when I'm not doing so great. You know, I'd like to give you some applications, if I could, just a couple things for you to take home about this story. Number one, when you feel trapped in your sin, if you're like this woman, move forward. What's, the, what's our nat natural tendency if we get caught in sin? What's our natural tendency? To run away, to hide. You remember Adam and Eve after they sinned in the Garden of, uh, 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 Garden of Eden? You remember what they did? Where were they when God was walking through in the cool of the evening? What were they trying to do? Hide. And that's our natural tendency is that when we get caught in sin, we want to hide from God, get away from church. But I want to encourage you, when you feel trapped in sin, I want you to move forward. All right? And here's why. Old preacher shared that when he was in school, he did something wrong. He had to go to the principal's office and to get a paddling. You all remember that? I remember I was probably one of the last people you ever talked to uh, in this age group that actually got paddled by my sixth grade basketball coach, Mr. Haney. And man, he had a weapon. It was not just, and I remember we had to go and I acted up in, in his history class and I deserved it and I knew I was gonna get it on the basketball court and I was gonna get it on my rear that day. And he said, go to the office, Jordan, I'll be right there. I went to the office, he brought in the weapon and he said, he didn't say anything, he said, Bend over. And you know what this old preacher was talking about when he got a paddling? He said, he remember this time when four of them got in trouble and the first one that took the beating came out weeping and crying. And he said, I'm gonna give you a secret. He said, lean back when he gets ready to hit you. He said, because he can't get his full range and it won't hurt nearly as bad. You know what? There's some truth to that if you've ever been whipped before. All right? There's some truth to that. Lean back. Don't let him get that leverage. You know, the worst thing you can do is go like that, you know? That's the worst, absolute worst thing you can do. But that's not how we usually do it with sin. When we sin, we feel shamed. 
We're like Adam and Eve, and we try to hide from God. Let me let you know, God already knows what you've done. Remember the focus verse this morning. The Pharisees accused him of spending too much time with sinners. And Jesus said in Luke 5, 31, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not called to come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus is a friend of people who make mistakes, who sin. And at the end account about Zacchaeus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of Moses came to seek and to save the lost. The prodigal sin was so deep in the muck of sin. Instead of moving further, he came home with sadness. And guess who was there waiting on him? His dad. And if you're waiting for one sinner to come home, I tell you, you leave the light on. <laughs> and then maybe, you're, maybe, maybe it's someone that's really close to your life and you know they're stuck in sin. Maybe they've been doing it in this sin for a long, long time. I'm telling you, leave the light on. Don't give up on these people because God hasn't. So first of all, I want, to take you, want you to take home. When you feel trapped in sin, move forward or move forward or move closer to Jesus. Don't move away. Secondly, when, this, when sin weighs you down, be extravagant in your worship. You know, I found this to be time and time again when I'm struggling with something. Man, I just crank up the worship <laughs> CD and I just sing it out to God. It, it, it's part of the healing process. Look, it's an attempt to get right with Jesus. In fact, in the Old Testament, there was a king of Israel named Ahab. You remember this story? First Kings 21, 25 says this. He was selfish. He was an evil king like no other. He married Jezebel. Remember her? And it says this about him in 1 Kings 21, 25. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in the most vilest manner and going after idols like the Amorites of the Lord drove out before Israel. God was so angry with Ahab through the prophet Elijah, he told him, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut them off from Ahab, every last male in Israel, slave or free, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And your wife Jezebel will die and be eaten by dogs at the wall of Jezreel. Do you know the end of Ahab's story? Listen to this in 1 Kings 21, 27. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and he was, and he fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went away uh, meekly. He was cut to the heart. Now we might say, I am not fooled by your fake repentance, Ahab. I know your heart and you might be a sneaky snake. You're a murderer and you're a cheater. You married a woman, Jezebel, who brought all of her idols and her wickedness here. You think by your act, outward acts of repentance that this is gonna save you. But amazingly, the very next verse says this of Ahab. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Have you noticed how Ahab had humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day, but I'll bring it on his house in the days of his son. God's heart is so tender that when we are sinners, turn to him in true repentance and worship, he can't help but respond in love and grace. That's the God you've come to worship today. Not a God that's ready to smite you. They're ready to take you out. 
I, I, I tell you, I had an unhealthy relationship with God early in my life. And I used to view God like he was just ready to get me all the time. Does anyone else have that view of God? That he's just sitting there, he's like, I'm just waiting for Britt to screw up. Got him. And he will get you. I, in fact, I had teachers that claimed to know Christ teach me these things. I lived in fear, not in a relationship. You don't have a relationship with a God if you're constantly living in fear. And so we need to understand this, as A.W. Tozer said, this, God loves the bent knee and the broken heart and a wet eye. That's what God loves. He loves a bent knee, a broken heart, and a wet eye. Oh, Jesus is a friend of sinners. He's a friend of mine, and he's a friend of yours. We sang a song last week, and it stayed with me. I don't know if you all remember this. Here's the words and the lyrics of the song. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and all the treasures that fade away are never enough. Then you came along, and you put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied. Here in your love, oh, here, oh, here and there, oh, there's nothing better than, than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there is nothing better than you. I'm not afraid to show my weaknesses, my failures and my flaws. Lord, you have seen them all and you still call me friend. Listen, it goes on to say, God calls the God of the mountains, the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy, your grace won't find me again. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Lord, there is nothing better than you. We sang that song last week. And that song is really an anthem to this first sermon. Jesus is a friend of sinners. And aren't you glad? I know I am. I know that once I receive this understanding of who Jesus is, that's what this sermon series is all about. Who is this Jesus? Well, the first thing we learned today is that he loves a broken-hearted person. He doesn't pass judgment on those who are stuck in sin. But what does the world want you to think that Christians do today? What does those who are outside of Christ accuse the church of doing all the time? Judging them. Being what? Being a hypocrite. That's what the world says the church is. Do you want to go to a church with Bible-thumping people who just judge you for everything that you do? That's what the world wants to say the church is. But here at this church... At this church I found, I've seen people deep in sin. I've seen people that we would say are some of the most vile things, and they have come back to God with a repentant heart, and they've shown fruits of their repentance. I don't even know if that's a biblical term, but it makes sense to me. You know, when someone says they're sorry, there should be some actions that show that they are sorry. You know what I'm saying? And it's not for me to judge those actions, just like they didn't judge Ahab back in the days. Uh, Elijah didn't, because God knows the heart. But there should, be some, there should be some remorse. There should be repentance. That's what we have for. But once someone is there, it's not time for us to pour it on. I told you that story before, didn't I? Now let me finish with this analogy. I, I, I'm not from West Virginia, but I've lived, I've lived here long enough that I feel like I'm a West Virginian. You know why? Because when I go back to Indiana, my friends just say, will you just start talking? Because I've picked up the dialect, Jaina. 
I have. (laughs) I've picked it up, all right? And they just love to hear me talk. But I tell you, the first time I went to a board meeting in West Virginia, have I ever told you this story? I walked in, and there's Rod Hedrick and Dave Wills. And they had just come from a concealed weapon permit class. And so when I walked in for my first time as their preacher at Grandview Christian Church, there's two pistols sitting on the, on, on the table. And I said, boys, if this is how we do board meetings in West Virginia, this is my first and last one. And then they told me this story, and here's the story. And they said, oh, no, no, Russ, we just came from a concealed weapon permit class. And they said, it was great. And I said, it was, there's two pistols on the table. You know? And they said, no, no, you gotta hear this. They said, we came and this guy, it was a young kid that was teaching us this concealed weapon. He said, and this group of coal miners stopped off of the local watering hole before class. He said, and they were fit to be tied and they were trying to give this kid a hard time. And so this young man gave a scenario. He said, look, it's one o'clock in the morning. You hear the front uh, door, there's a glass by your door, it breaks. You hear someone coming in, you hear them coming up your steps. You're in bed with your wife and they swing open the door and he said, what do you do? And he said, this one old boy said, I grabbed my gun and I had to pour it on. And he said, well, good thing. He said, this was a mass murder. He was gonna kill you and your household. And he said, yeah, <laughs> that's what he said, got him. He said, same scenario, two years later. You're in bed with your wife, it's late at night, Glass open, here break, the door opens, you hear someone coming up the steps, they open up the door, and he said, he said, what do you do? And he goes, I grab it again, and I give it again, I just pour it on. He said, this time it's your 16-year-old daughter, and she forgot her house key. And this old boy looked at him and said, ah, it's all right, I got three more. And so that's what he said. <laughs> you know, listen, when we see repentance, it's not time for us to pour it on. Amen. If you need to repent today, you're coming to a place that's not going to pour it on you. We're going to pour on the Holy Spirit on you. We're going to love you the way Christ did. Well, that woman that was caught at Simon's house, she was so troubled by what was going on in her life. She didn't care at that point what everyone thought. She only cared what he thought. And until you get to that point in your life with Jesus, you won't really know what repentance looks like. So our goal, and someone said, <laughs> this has been the greatest question that's ever been asked. You know, they asked Jesus, who are you? What, who are you? You know what they asked me as a preacher? What do you do? Like Monday through Friday, what do you do? That's the greatest question that can ever be asked. I, I literally just say nothing. I do absolutely nothing. And there's nothing I do. I just sit and I eat popcorn. I watch Oprah. I mean, I watch it all. You know, that's why I say, that's just all I do. Reruns, I, say, I don't do anything. I bet it's the greatest question. But this one little lady came up to me once. She goes, what exactly do you do? I said, what do you mean? She goes, like Monday through Friday. I mean, all you do is just come up here and tell us about God on Sunday. You don't do anything else, do you? I said, nope, not a thing. But I found what my job description looks like. You know what it is? I help people find Jesus. I help them come to repentance. You know how I help them? I show them what repentance looks like because listen, I am so glad that Jesus is a friend of sinners because he's a friend of mine. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, we come to this time in our service that we get ready to meet around your table to celebrate communion a time that we uh, 
can get personal with you. God, I, I imagine if I was there and I saw that kind of emotion and that kind of depth of feeling that was going on. I'm, I, I'd be, I confess to you, it had been awkward. Like, what is she doing? Thoughts in my head would have been like, why is he allowing her to do that? I'll be honest, my judgmental heart would have kicked in. I probably would have been more like Simon than I would have been like Jesus. But God, and then I think about me and you. I think about at my fraternity room at Wabash College when you and I had a heart-to-heart. And I remember how far I'd fallen. And when I cried out for you, you were there. You're a friend. And so as we begin this journey in the next three or four weeks of discovering who Jesus is, can we just be reminded of that text that came this morning? Hey, I just wanted to tell you, you're a good friend, Russ. And that didn't make me feel big about myself. It just humbled me this morning. Because God, I remember, and I know this journey that you and I have been on. And I know that there's been times when I've let you down and I've tried to hide and I've tried to run. But I'm also reminded of how much you love me and that you're my friend. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are going to gather around your table today that when they hold the emblems, when they hold the juice that represents your blood, when they hold the wafer that represents your body, that we have a friend of sinners. And we have one that loves us so much that he was willing to go and do something for us that we could never do for ourselves. God loves bent knee, a broken heart, and a tear coming down the face. And Lord, I also pray for our decision time. That God, maybe this sermon helps us to remember of what it means to have a friend like Jesus. And God, I pray for some that maybe have never experienced that level of intimacy with Jesus yet. I pray, God, that they could know that they have a friend who will love them like no other. That in spite of their sin, in spite of their shortcomings, in spite of everything that they do wrong, is that he's just there. And he calls us his friends. And God, maybe somebody needed to be reminded of that today. So Lord, will you bless during this time when we get real with you, when it's no preacher talking, no worship leader leading us in worship, when it's just you and me and juice and bread. Thanks for being our friend.
Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say. Amen. We're going to do communion. I know we have some first-time guests here, so let me explain how we do it. This is the Lord's table. You don't have to be a member of Gateway, but if you're one of Christ's followers, here in just a second, put my mask on as we walk around the room. There's communion back there. Just grab it. There's an offering plate there if you want to participate. There's also a little prayer box there. And that prayer box has got little cards and you can fill out prayer requests. And I will tell you that there is a lady that collects those and she prays over those every single week. But I'll also tell you that inside that box are already written prayer requests. And you can take one of those prayer requests if you will pray for that prayer request for this week. So that's how we do this time. This time is you and God. So welcome to his table if you feel led to participate in communion this morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To find out more, visit us online at gatewaychurch.net. See you next week.